Robinson. We have a lot to cover, but before we get to that, please remember to download both the Barn Burner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV um, is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire, and Fire TV Sticks, Roku, and Roku Sticks also on all smart TVs 2016 and forward. I almost have that entire thing memorized. Um, gentlemen, how are we doing today? Great. I'm doing good, buddy. Uh, that was a great intro. Best one yet. Yeah, you. you're getting better. Thank you. I, that's what I like to hear. Um, we have a lot to cover, so I want to get started with news. Obviously, the Vegas Dallas series was not over uh, when we were doing our last show, but it's now official. Dallas is headed to the cup final. Um, just a few nights ago, Vegas was up to nothing. Dallas came back with goals from Jamie Benn, and then with just under four minutes, uh, our favorite, Yoel Kivaranta, uh, tied it up. In OT, just only a couple minutes in, Zach Whitecloud had a failed clearing attempt. And then that put Dallas in the power play and Dennis Gurionov beat Leonard. Dallas is going to the cup final. Um, Luke, what are your thoughts? Well, I was pretty confident when I said the winner of the Vancouver Vegas series would go to the, I think I said win the Stanley cup, not just yeah. go to the final. Yep. So yep. that's yep. a bit yep. tough. Um, I, I don't, I don't like, I'm not, Dallas is a good team. I don't think anyone was really sleeping. No. Yeah, they were. But I think, I think Vegas is just, like it's it's Vegas. They're they're just so good and like all aspects of their game. And in five games, I don't know. I I wasn't expecting that, but I I I don't want to pick Dallas in the final. Like my instinct says no, but after they did what they did to Vegas, I don't know. Yep, that's fair. Nick, what do you think? I wouldn't have been surprised if you had told me before the series that Dallas was going to win, I thought Vegas was going to win, but you know, if somebody was debating Dallas was going to win that series, I would have listened to that all day long. I'm just surprised they did it in so few games. They really, uh, despite the fact that the series was pretty close uh, in terms of shots and in terms of the actual play and the score, you know, Dallas wins in uh, five games. So yeah, it's uh Surprising to say the least, I didn't have them going to the cup final. I was high on them at the beginning of the year, but the, they definitely have the surprise package of this year's playoffs and good on them. Yeah, I think the thing with Dallas, I don't want to compare it because I know we've, we've sort of talked about how Tampa was undermined. I think you could say that more with Dallas because at the end of the day, people still knew how good Tampa was, but Dallas just did not quit. And almost it's not like there were any inconsistencies throughout the playoffs, even games they lost, people still felt that they sort of deserved to win. I really like the Joel UL Kivaranta story. I think that's awesome, but let's talk about Vegas. Um, the white cloud. Well, it wasn't, I guess it was a successful clearing attempt, but this sort of prompted a lot of discussion on Twitter about delay of game penalty, considering how much referees do let slide. You look at slashes, you look at punches to the face, you look at scrums um, after the whistle. If you lightly touch a goalie, uh, elbows, all this stuff, but that's one that sort of sparked a lot of people thinking maybe it's not actually worth it. Obviously, he didn't mean to do it. Obviously, it was unintentional. He wasn't trying to flip it out because they know it's going to be a penalty. Do you think, uh, Nick, and I'll start with you, do you think delay a game is a dumb rule given how much else is, is let slide? I don't think it's a dumb rule based on what it is. I think it becomes dumb when, like you said, the referees let so much slide, especially in the playoffs. They let so many different penalties go, but that is delay of game by what it is by definition is not something you can just let go. You can't give some penalties uh, when they're fire, when people are firing pucks over the glass and not give others. It doesn't work like the other ones. So based on what it is by definition, I have no problem with it because 
again, I've always, I've said last week and I've always been in the opinion, we need more power plays. We need more goals in hockey. And that's just one way to fa- facilitate that. But obviously when you're a Vegas Golden Knight player, staff member or fan, and you watch your team be eliminated from the playoffs on a call like that, obviously it's going to be a bit of a gut punch and it's going to hurt. And I did feel bad for Zach White cloud. Cause like you said, obviously no intent to do it, but based on what it is as a rule, I have no problem with it. Luke, I don't know if you have a different opinion on that. I, I like, I get the frustration and I, and I don't really like it, but I feel like I can't speak too much on it because I don't have a better solution. Like, like you were saying, Nick, like I, it's, it's really bothersome that that happens, but I, I, I was thinking about it and I just, I, I can't figure it out. I, you, I think we would all agree. You don't want to leave it up to the referee's discretion because I think a lot of the issues with, with, um, with calls like that, with like non, well, even physical calls, but with calls like that is it's left too much up to the referees. And I don't think we'd want to add this in as well. I, I couldn't figure out maybe, maybe depending on if you're winning or losing, depending on how long you've had the puck. I don't know, but I, I don't have a solution, but I, I still, I still find it very frustrating. So I, like, I, I, I feel so bad for white. Like he had, he had such yeah. a good, such a good run. And I yeah. hadn't even heard his name before, before a few months ago. So it's, it's tough. I, I don't know a way around it, but maybe someone smarter than me can figure it out because that just, that just sucks to see. I think that's the worst way to lose a game, especially a game that close in a series that close. And you knew right away his head was down and he looked just so beat. And it's really unfortunate to see. But the thing is, I think I would keep the rule the way it is, because if you were to change it, look, in the last, I don't know, two or three years of me watching hockey, I don't think I've actually seen anyone intentionally flip the puck out because they know the consequences and they know that no matter what a power play is going to be is going to come out of it and we see how strict referees are on that so i think i would keep it but i do think it is kind of interesting how so much is let slide and then if someone accidentally chips it out because that that was a close call that almost chipped off well yeah just that that specific call itself that was that was one of the worst ones i've seen but just from what you said there do you think there's a chance and you'd have like this you have to put a lot of faith in the players here do you think if you did get rid of the rule do you genuinely think that that players would start taking advantage of that. And if they're yeah. under pressure, they just flick, flick it over the glass. You don't think you could, you could get to some, make yeah, it there, some unspoken there, rule. I don't think there would ever be a middle ground because if it wasn't unspoken, yeah, no, I think that's why you'd have to keep it the way it is because players know we've seen all playoffs that when teams are gas and like it happens quite easily, it doesn't take much to just flip it over the glass. I did see one proposal. I'm not sure. Remember who tweeted it about, uh, penalizing any team who ices the puck no matter what the situation is obviously excluding penalty kill even if it's accidental what do you guys think about uh penalizing Wait, like giving a like a two-minute penalty for icing yeah is that what you oh i've seen God. that proposal before i'm just curious what you guys are, i'm not for it i'm just curious what you guys think because I, I, like I, it was an analytics account that did it so i'm thinking nick might be a little bit more in favor of this than luke i have trouble agreeing with that on 5v5 play just because there's so many icings every game and that's going to cause if we're resetting the power play and all that so many more times a game obviously it's going to get more goals and all that good stuff but then you're creating longer games which is something i know the nhl also would like to avoid 
and you're going to have so many more stoppages and all that. I'd be in favor of it if you gave an additional penny penalty to a penalty killing team for icing the puck. That I'm okay with. If you want to say the penalty killers cannot ice the puck, that I'm okay with. Wait, but, what? Like yeah. if, if you're if you're if killing, you're a, killing penalty, a penalty, you, you can't don't ice you... the puck. I like that. I like that. I, like I think that. So, so I'm more in favor of that. I think so I, I think icing what, the puck. Sorry, just to make this clear, icing the puck at even strength would not be a penalty because a lot of times it's just accidental and players make bad passes or um, that obviously aren't tape to tape. But if you're a penalty killer the onus is on you to skate the puck out and then obviously they'll probably ice it once they get to the red line anyway, or chip it in once they get to the red line. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Both of both Pat, your original um, suggestion. And then Nick, what you're saying about penalty kill, I think both would add just an unnecessary dynamic to the game. Um, Like Patrick, in your case, I think, I think you would see, there, there'd be a whole nother element of, of players purposely trying to get the other team to ice the puck, maybe not so much trying to intercept a pass, but if a pass is made box out the, the receiving player, force them to ice the puck. And it's like, okay, well, that's not really what was supposed to happen. And then Nick, in your case, I, I don't know if you, if you need to be penalizing the the team that's down even more icing the puck is the only refuge they have that that is such a core part of a penalty kill it is and, it is now and but i'm that's not what saying, saying it would be a bad thing but i just don't know what what that would look like you get a lot more power play goals that's for sure right and, I guess you put, that's and you what put you the want. onus on the penalty killing team to skate the puck out and that would totally change how a penalty kill works i don't absolutely but it would also change how a power play works because look so much of a power play structure is how you enter the zone teams regroup when they're when they're changing on the fly and they go up the ice and have a formation, who's going to do the zone entry, who's going to go in deep, who's going to set up. That would also change. It wouldn't just change the, it would change yeah. the entire dynamic of what special teams look like. The more I think about it, I think that would just, that would make power plays way too dangerous. Like you can just, you can dump it in and obviously you're a man up, you dump it in and you just push on them. They're not going to ice it. Yeah. They're not going to be able to break out against you. You're just going to get the puck and, I like you're asking the killing team to break out with, with one less guy, like actually perform a real breakout without, I I, think, think about what that would cause though, a rule like this. Therefore teams are going to be like more inclined to say, hell no, I don't want to be on the penalty kill. Therefore you're going to get less chippy stuff at five V five, just completely out of fear of how much harder a penalty kill is going to be from that point. And I think overall you would see a big reduction in injuries caused by like scrums and chippy plays and stuff like that at even strength overall. That's what I think at least I'll propose one slight tweak to it. Then maybe Luke can come around to this. How about you cannot ice the puck in three V three overtime. Penalty sure. shot if you ice I, the puck. I don't know why I you like would that. want to ice the puck in three v three. No, that's but, what I'm saying. But sometimes there's, they're failed. They're, they're, they're yeah. Are, there's so much more ice, and you fail to complete yeah. pla- passes. Sometimes yeah, a lot more. I, I don't or, know. Or I a guess four on three. Power I don't know why penalty. you'd want to punish teams for doing. Like, there's so much ice in three v three. If you have the puck in your in your own zone, I don't. I like. Yeah, the the only way you're going to ice that puck is if you mess up a pass, and I I'm not sure teams should be should be being penalized for for messing up a pass. I'm, well, that's the know. thing, right? Because 
like they're, they're not committing an infraction they're just they made a mistake and now they're right getting a penalty I don't well that's the thing if that happens so much in, in three on three overtime if there's a four on three power play and the team that's short-handed ices the puck there's more ice you should ideally be able to skate it out or make a proper pass the onus is on you to actually play a little bit more uh strategically maybe focus a bit more i'm not sure what you guys this actually i was wasn't on the on the outline so this is kind of funny how we spent so much time talking i just about it, i just but. don't think power plays need need more threat than they are i think it's it's pretty good maybe if you do add that rule make make minor penalties a minute i don't know i just right. I, I don't it, it's interesting how we've stretched this out because it started with delay of game and now it's become icing yeah. and now like we're starting we're, we're getting into the area of is icing delay of game like it you know you could make that argument that it is. i've always viewed icing as a as a very real tactic to use especially on the pk so i think not being able to change when you're icing it is a good move but this does segue into yeah. our ne- my next question which i had for you guys and maybe nick we already got your answer uh luke I'm sure you can obviously change it, but if you guys could get rid of or make a new rule, what would it be? I think we talked about this like on one of our early shows back two years ago when we were in first year. Um, I don't remember what we picked and I'm wondering if you guys had any uh, rule change ideas uh, or or proposals you wanted to go with. Luke, I'll start with you. If you could get rid of a rule or make a new one, what would it be? I have one to add. Um, And it's very, it's very, uh, uh, different it's it's a little outside the box but what if games do not and i'm not sure if maybe you've heard this but games do not end while the losing team is on a power play Game. in other words um the opposed your opponent takes a penalty with 15 seconds left and you're down two one in the third period 15 seconds left instead of that, be- that becomes in- two minutes instead of yeah, there's two minutes left on the clock. So I don't know. I haven't thought about the technicalities if you score what happens. Okay. But so if let's say, for example, Montreal is up two one on Vancouver. Vancouver, if they so if Montreal takes a penalty with 15 seconds left, Vancouver gets a two minute power play. So they get the 15 seconds plus a minute 45. Is Correct. What you're saying? Or they just the get game. When the well, like it's that's both the same thing. Like. The, yeah, okay. the game you you get to play out your power play basically it avoids um and i'm not saying this happens all the time it's i think it's definitely an element here and there but it avoids the team that's up taking a penalty um to make a certain play with very little time left and they know being on the pk for 10 seconds won't really matter that's interesting so it, would that only be if it's a one goal game then no like, it's fine well i mean like... that's probably only when it would be relevant but okay. just for the sake of the rule like you probably have to make it for yeah, that's what i'm saying because there's a lot of sometimes like scraps and stuff left in a lopsided game say with like 20 30 seconds left and you know a team that's losing sometimes will take a bunch of penalties and stuff like that because they'll throw out like the third and fourth line to mix it up I think you'd run into a bit of a problem there just because it becomes a mess only, at that point, but it, it only would be the losing relevant. team. Only, only if the winning team takes a penalty, does that happen? Okay. If I, if I've worked okay. at that correct. Yeah, that makes sense. If the losing team takes a penalty, the game just ends as normal. I don't mind that. No, I don't mind that either. That's, that's I, I don't okay. think it would ever happen. I just think, no, but that's the whole point, right? Was, Cause it, it would, it would mess with a lot of, um, with a lot of, you know, game stats and stuff. It would, I don't think the any I don't think any sports league would want the length of their game on average to vary like that. Uh, 
the only the only other exception is over ah, if they can make it work in soccer i think they could make it work in any sport varying game lengths. yeah i guess that's true i don't mind yep. that uh luke or uh nick sorry uh i think i this is probably the same answer i gave back when we did this the first time but uh you know, I'm more in favor of the NHL shifting to the video game type overtime and every penalty in three on three is a penalty shot. Um, I would also add on the icing one that I proposed earlier. If you ice the puck in a three on three overtime, it's a penalty shot. I like those. Uh, I could also listen to the, you can't ice the puck on a penalty kill. I, I like all those. I'm obviously of the opinion that we just need Overtime to be overtime, just settle it up. I think more penalty shots would create more excitement for the league. And I think uh, the icing ones in regulation, more goals, more fun. So I'm I, in that boat. As someone who's played their fair share of threes, I can definitely get behind the penalty um, penalty shot. No cross-creasing in overtime, maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we can't do that. But I, I definitely get behind the penalty shot in overtime. Yeah. So I had one. This is kind of a boring one compared to yours, and I'm really sorry. This isn't really like a rule change but it's more for officials. Like maybe it is, I guess, whatever. Uh, I don't, I think there should be a time limit for reviewing um, offside and goal more offside than goal interference. But there are a lot of instances where it's inconclusive. And I think if it's inconclusive within a minute or two, you just go with the initial call. Uh, I remember back in the Western conference final uh, Nashville and St. Louis and Subban scored almost instantly and they spent like eight minutes reviewing it to see if it was offside. And they deemed it was offside by like a millimeter. And it took them so long to review it. I think, did that, how much does that affect the goal that's being scored? And I think if it's inconclusive and you can't really tell, then go with the initial call because it completely slows down the momentum of the game. And I think it's unnecessary to spend that much time reviewing uh, something like that. Goalie interference, I don't want to put a time limit for that. I just think the, the league needs to write out what goalie interference is. Um, but initially I would, I would definitely say have a time limit, at least two minutes for offside because it shouldn't take that long to figure it out. Either it's offside or it's not. And if you can't tell, go with the initial call. Yeah. I like that. Again, it comes back to what I said earlier of the NHL wanting to shorten or at least maintain their current game lengths. Hockey is already a long game compared to a lot of other, uh, of the major four sports. I think the only one that's probably not longer than is baseball sometimes, um, but yeah, that, that would be fine because again, you don't want to be spending eight, 10 minutes of TV time on watching referees stand at center ice and look at an iPad. So I'd be fine with that. I, I think the idea is there. Like I, I get what you're trying to accomplish. I just think adding, adding like a set amount of time, you said, you know, if it's inconclusive by the end of whatever the time limit is, minutes, go, for example. go back to the original on ice call because it, cuts out the flow of play if you've taken two minutes you've already cut out the flow of play i don't think you're going to get that back and i'd be worried that that the referees doing this they're they're going to be watching the clock like i i just i think you'd be unnecessarily causing them to rush in a sense but um, that's my point though shouldn't shouldn't but you know? i i agree that there's an issue there i just maybe wouldn't say that's the solution um I, I just I just think you're you're adding you're adding another element to the review that can add even more inconsistency. Um, I I think if you're gonna review it, review it to the best of your ability. Don't add that restriction. But at the same time, I I have a lot of issues with the fact that reviews happen like that anyway. Right. So I do agree. I do agree with the problem you're trying to solve. I just maybe wouldn't go that route. 
Right, because there are some that take like 10 minutes and it's like a sliver offside. That's another thing the NHL needs to work on is, you know, they invest so much money in advertising and cameras and all this technology, the player tracking, but the cameras on the blue line are dreadful. It's like five pixels. The one thing viewers need, um, especially people like us when we're interested in that stuff, are better uh, blue line cameras. But I just think if it's taking eight minutes, like chances are if it's a millimeter one way or the other way, it probably didn't affect the goal that was being scored to begin with. Um, Nick, I don't know if you had anything else to add in that uh, regard. No, I think I'm good on that regard. I kind of do. I I sort of like all the proposals. All right, Nick, or Um, Luke, what's your rebuttal? So just in terms of game lengths, because that's kind of come up a bit. um, I've had, I I saw uh, an infographic posted somewhere. Okay, yeah, if you can do that, that's great. But essentially it runs through um, NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and EPL, uh, games. Great. Thank you, Nick. So I found this interesting because I wouldn't have, like, like we said, the NHL long, slow, uh, I mean this, yeah, a long, slow affairs, NFL and MLB, but I've always kind of pictured NHL is pretty, it's pretty long, but when you look at this, like there's a lot of gameplay for, uh, for the, for the chunk of time it's given. So if you look at the NFL or the MLB, you're getting 20 minutes of action. And I know those sports are very different and I'm not sure in this case, what the MLB criteria was of action. Is it, is it only if the ball is in play? I, I would assume so. Yeah. Um, I had, I have no idea on that because which I, is a bit I, I would count the 20 seconds of a pitcher winding up. Yeah. As like like game that's action, the thing, but this might not. So, so then when you, when you get down to the more clear cut ones, NBA, NHL, EPL, um, the NHL doesn't do terribly 60, 63 minutes. That, that makes perfect sense. Um, obviously a game plus an average of overtime. I'm not sure again on shootouts, but, but when you look at this, the NHL doesn't do terribly at, uh, at, you know, at, at gameplay in their generally three hour slot um compared to and if you look at commercial times they're all roughly the same but compared to look how much stagnant time is in there for the nfl or the mlb um i just i just wanted to bring this up we've talked a lot about game lengths and how the nhl maybe has an issue with with wanting to shorten it just thought this was maybe relevant it shows the nhl is actually one of the one of the better leagues out yeah of i think five. i think that's good i just you know i think the more you can cut into that gray the better yeah almost, yeah right uh, anytime you can cut into it i think is a good opportunity and something you should at least explore i'm actually surprised that it's higher than the english premier league because if you sit down and watch an english premier league game it feels like it's always going because no commercials or breaks or anything like that or graphics during a half a soccer so i'm actually surprised by that that's actually a really cool graphic luke that is i've never seen that before that's really interesting yeah. um if the, you if you guys have nothing else to add this isn't really a rule change but i think it's weird and this is separate from what we were talking about but um i think shootout goals not shootout goals shootout game winners should count towards your goal totals because if you score a shootout game winner you will be marked as having a game winning goal but that won't go to your goal totals so you can have no goals for the season, have a shootout game winner, and you'll be have you have a, a mark as game winner, but you'll have no goals. So I think that's just a weird. Can I propose a fix to that? Sure. Yeah, abolish the shootout, three on three overtime till you die, and then I like that. Then Pat, uh, 
we don't have to worry about that. Same thing. I, I seem to be having a trend with you here. I agree yeah. with you that there's an issue there. <laughs> I would go the other way though. Don't don't classify that shootout winning goal as a game winning goal. I would rather have the error on that side that it's not a game winning goal than add a shootout goal on only certain shootout goals, the ones that win to the goal but, total. Okay, I think you're just disagreeing with me just to just to disagree because no, I, I remember just, I just think <clears throat> no, I would, I know I would rather not give no, people shootout goals to add to their goal total, and especially because if if I score in the shootout but it's in the first round and the other team scores too. My goal doesn't count, but you happen to shoot in the third round and we win the game. Your goal does count. But your goal didn't win me the game. Yeah, but 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 I think that's where the issue is. It shouldn't it shouldn't matter. I, yeah, I guess the argument would be your goal your goal kept it going which allowed me to win the game. I guess I okay, I can see where you're coming from. That makes sense to me. Um are we uh, are we good to move on from rules because that's only I guess that's so. only the first topic? But that's a good that's a good discussion, guys. Yeah, t- twenty five minutes of rules isn't uh, <laughs> yeah. the most exciting thing we've ever done. But I, that w- that was good. That was yeah. a good discussion. Let's uh, let's talk about the other series that's still going on. Um, just two nights ago, the Islanders avoided elimination. Um, Eberle won it in double overtime. Goals from Pollock and Hedman. Um, Eberle, clutch player. He, they forced Game Six. Um, point did not play. Game six is tonight. We'll see if he gets the go-ahead. Um, what are your thoughts? Can the Islanders pull it off tonight? Can they uh, force game seven? Nick, we'll start with you. Well, it's funny the point you made on Everly because I know he only really had the one playoff run in Edmonton, but he wasn't very good in that and got a lot of backlash for it. But since he's made the switch to the Long Island, he's been a lot better in the playoffs. And he's probably been the Islanders' most consistent playoff performer over the past two years, I'd say. So that was good for him to see him get that goal. But I don't know if Braden point can go tonight. I have a hard time saying that the Islanders can force a game seven, just because Tampa Bay will have that much more of an X factor in that game. But with the goaltending they've been getting all season, and if they can just get a bit more luck shooting the puck, then I don't see why the Islanders can't at least force a game seven. Um, But I guess this time or later on tomorrow, we'll either be talking about, um, a game seven tee up or a Stanley cup final preview. So I guess we'll see Luke. Um, I think if my con Smythe pick Braden point plays tonight, Tampa wins. And if he plays the rest of the playoffs, mm. I think Tampa wins. Um, it's kind of weird because no one really knows too much about the point situation. Uh, but like he's, he's, I, I, I think he's, he's their driving f- and especially without, without Stamkos, who I think is um, a bit, I don't want to say underrated, but maybe kind of that way, just on that team, maybe. But I think Point is the driving force of that team's offense, just kind of the, I mean, he, he's good on his own, but kind of a, a good glue guy, I guess, in a way. But I I think I think they miss him a lot, clearly. The Islanders hanging on, like, just barely. I, I'm just, it's it, this series is kind of like, okay, the Islanders have to lose eventually. They're not going to win this. Um, and especially if Braden Point is back tonight. And I'm assuming, because it doesn't sound too serious, whatever whatever's going on with him, um, because they haven't they haven't kind of clarified either way, I would assume he's gonna he's gonna play. Yeah, he's a game time decision. I think they uh, Chris Johnson tweeted that out not yeah, too long ago. So I game six of the Eastern Conference Finals game time decision. I would if he if he can play in the slightest, he'll play, I think. Yeah, I think I if only 
I don't want to say if only the Islanders were a talented team. Actually, no, I think I can say that because look, it's they're sort of an awkwardly built team. They're not that good on paper, but I would love to see what Trotz could do with much better talent. Uh, Luke, real quick, just because you mentioned Stamkos, do you guys think, and I'll direct this to both of you, do you think that I know some people are saying that obviously, obviously the, the like, lightning can play without him. Are the lightning better without Steven Stamkos? Nick, I want to know your thoughts. Oh man, that's tough. I, I want to make sure I get the wording on this one, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> man, that's, I'm going to try, I, I'm going to talk through this one. You guys, okay, that's fine. Nod your heads as I go. It's, it's a weird topic because they do play really well without him and they have made now a, a couple of playoff runs. This being like the second time they've had a playoff run, like a serious playoff run. I think the other time was 2016 that they've done it without Stamkos, which is, which is interesting. I think they also did it in like 2014 as well. Like the lightning have proven that they don't need Steven Stamkos, which is crazy because Steven Stamkos is a very talented player and he's got a great resume and we all know that. But I think what this highlights is that Tampa Bay for so long and John Cooper for a long time, John Cooper, obviously a great coach has in some ways rightfully made Steven Stamkos the focal point of Tampa Bay's offense and everything they do operates through Steven Stamkos. But without him in times, he's missed a lot of regular season games over the past few years. He's, he's done better the past couple of seasons and he's missed a lot of playoff games in his career as well. And in those times, I think when the lightning have been forced to go through Kucherov and this year go through point, they've looked better. So I wouldn't say it's hard to say that they're better without Stamkos, but I think there is something to that. If maybe the lightning switch the focus off of Stamkos and maybe try to operate more through Kucherov or point and rely on them heavier and use Stamkos as a complementary force. And he would be what, like a top 10 complementary type player in the league. I think that would make them better. I like just to rely on Stamkos less. And I think point and Kucherov show that if they were to do that, they'd be fine because They've hit another level. They hit another level in the regular season last year when everything went through Kucherov and they look like that team again now when Braden Point is stealing the show. So I, I definitely think there's something there in the way that they use Stamkos. I think that was worded fine. Um, <laughs> Luke, I want to hear what you think and then I'll, I'll add something at the end um, about just their lineup situation. Uh, Luke, what do you think? I don't think they're better without him. Um that's something we have to look at the numbers for because I don't know. Well, I just how they I, I think him. I don't think you can say that that the Tampa Bay Lightning are better without Steven Stamkos. I think Nick put it pretty well. They might be more just the the way they play when he's not in the lineup. They might be more efficient. They might be more effective because they're changing the way they're playing. The focus shifts a little bit. But to answer your question, no, I don't think they're better without him. Um, and if anything, it's kind of it's a good problem to have. It's like, oh, we have this, we have this star caliber player that that we're struggling to to kind of place in our lineup, which is kind of weird because he's he's Steven Stamkos, he's their captain, well, he's been there longer than anyone else. Um, that I assume we're talking about in this conversation, but yeah. but be short and sweet. No, he's not. The Lightning aren't better without Stamkos. Again, like I think we 
I'm not saying they are. And I definitely think we have to look at like Tampa's underlying numbers systematically, what they do with them without him on the ice. Um, I know that when Washington was trying to build up their team, when they picked up Shattenkirk at the deadline, they won once they lost some of their better players. Not that those better players were holding them down, but I think having, I don't want to say adversity, but having some, not holes, maybe slight weaknesses in your lineup helps you as a team more. But the thing with the Tampa Bay Lightning, when you're looking at their lineup, you have Anthony Sorelli and Braden Point down the middle. Uh, Braden Point's definitely becoming one of the better players in the league right now. Anthony Sorelli, in my opinion, is a top five uh, two-way centers in the league. On the wing, you have Palat, you have Goudreau, Kucherov. I doubt you're going to keep Coleman, but you still have Kalorn. I don't think Stamco slots down the center anymore. Do you put him on the right wing? If so, is it going to be below Kucherov? Do you guys think that Tampa could move on from Steven Stamkos? Luke, what do you think? Yeah, like I said, it's kind of a good problem to have. Um, you know, when you when you have the players that they do and you're actually in a in a spot where you can consider moving on from someone like Steven Stamkos. Yeah, I guess. Um, and again, you also you, like you have to consider you have to consider not, you know, not only what he does on the ice per se, but, but he's, he's, he's been their guy for a while. Um, and that, that would be an extremely hard decision to make. And it would be extremely difficult, to get that deal I think, for them to get to that point where they're saying, okay, you know, we're, for example, we're shopping Steven Samkos. Like that's, I think that's a bit of ways away. And, and I, I, again, I wouldn't classify it as a problem. It's just, it's an interesting position that not a lot of teams I would say would really ever be in, but I mean, you know, there's very few people in the league that are untouchable. I don't think he's one of them. So yeah, sure. I think, I think if you, if you break it down and you come to the conclusion that Tampa's better without him, yeah, you can move him. All right, Nick, anything you want to add or do should we move on here? Yeah, I'd move sort of along the same lines of Luke. I think you do have to consider the fact that he's been the captain of that team for a long time. He's been the poster boy since he was drafted in 2008. He is really everything that he, he has kept Tampa Bay hockey on the map for a long time because they really sort of were dying off after their cup win no four there. And he's really yep. helped to elevate that team and city a lot. So if you're going to trade him, obviously you have to get it right. But I think I would prefer he be a casualty because you're going to get a lot back for him as opposed to yes. somebody like Anthony Sorelli. So, yes, I think if, if you that. were to move one of the centers, I'm not moving point or Sorelli. I'm moving stamp goes ahead of those guys, not to diminish his production or his ability as a player. Um, let's move on to Minnesota wild. We actually have a lot of Minnesota wild notes. Um, Hooray, most mediocre team in NHL history. Let's talk about them for a long time. (laughs) So yesterday, they sent Eric Stahl to Buffalo for Marcus Johansson. And that is it. That is all they did. Those were the only two moves involved in the trade. Stahl is 35. He has one more year at 3.25 mil. Uh, Johansson is younger and has one more year at 4.5. I don't know what Minnesota is doing. I don't know if there's something else that is brewing with them. Buffalo definitely comes out on top, in my opinion. Jack Eichel finally has a center below him. I don't think Dylan Cozens is going to be a, a 2C. Um, Nick, your initial thoughts on this move? I definitely thought there was going to be more included, but let's just uh, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like you're strapping cash on this team. They added uh, Nick Bugstad when we were live on the air last week, and then they added 
Johansson yesterday, who's a bit more expensive than Stahl. I don't really understand it because Johansson is, in my opinion, at least quite a bit worse than Stahl. Johansson's a fine player, but I would say Stahl is uh, much more, you know what you have in Stahl. He's a yeah. good second line center at this point in his career, although he is playing a lot more important of a role than that for the wild. So I look at that trade now and I just see like a big gap in the center position for Minnesota. Uh, so maybe there's something in the works there. Um, I'll touch on that in a bit, but it's an interesting deal. I think it's really good for Buffalo because now they've finally got a solid second line pivot. That's going to help maybe alleviate some of the pressure from Jack Eichel. So I, it's a smart move for them. Luke. Yeah, I agree with everything Nick said. It's, it's a bit odd. Um, the only thing, the only thing in favor um of Johansson is, is the age. And even then it's not, it's not anything notable. The, the thing is that the trade, it's not like totally detrimental. Um, it's not like it's going to hold them down for a lot of years to come. I just, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know why you would, why you'd make yeah. that move. Um, I, I Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a bit interesting. I guess the sense from Minnesota is they're getting younger, but they're getting a younger player who is actually declining in yeah, a way right. faster than Stahl is like Nick said, Johansson's a fine center. Um, this is sort of a weird deal and we'll get more towards what Minnesota is going to aim to do this off season, especially later on when the expansion draft comes up. Cause they're definitely in a weird sort of predicament here. Um, Bill Guerin in his interview yesterday um, while GM said Victor Rask could take on a role as a top six centerman. So yesterday when this trade happened, Nick made a joke. He said, uh, Victor Rask 1C season. We all laughed, but now Bill Guerin's saying it's definitely a possibility. Um, this is obviously a mistake. I, look, I don't even know what Minnesota's trying to do down the middle. You have Luke Coonan, but even then he's still playing on the left wing. Um, what are the Wild going to do? Uh, Nick, Victor Rask, top six center. Obviously a mistake. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm really confused by this because... I, you guys can, I'm not sure if you agree with this or not. I think for the first time in a long time, it felt at least after this season that there was at least some sort of direction for the Minnesota wild. I know they've spent heavily in the past and they've invested a lot into Parise and Suter. And it looked like they were really on the way up when they signed those two guys uh, all those years ago, but it felt that this season, you know, they had cut some of their costs a bit, and they were way down in the cap. And, you know, Paul Fenton's one-year tenure as GM was a disaster, but one thing he absolutely did do right, and Bill Guerin has continued it to a degree, is trying to get the team a bit younger, a bit more skilled. And, you know, Kevin Fiala uh, was the team's MVP on the ice for sure this year, and he proved that he can be an elite NHL hockey player and is going to be, you know, sort of the poster boy for what they're doing now. And they've got... um, why can't I remember his name now? The Russian guy that's going to come over finally. Uh, Kaprizov. Kaprizov. Sorry, I can. I was going to say Kravitsov. That's the Rangers guy. Rangers, Kaprizov yeah. is going to come over. So now you're, you're sort of looking like the Minnesota Wild are maybe on their way up. Um, and again, Johansson's younger than Stahl, but I think this was a finally a summer of opportunity for them before they made this trade, as in they have the money that they can now add to this team a bit maybe bring in some decent talent, whether that's through free agency or trade. And I thought there was maybe some opportunity finally for them, but 
I've always considered uh, Johansson to be a decent middle six winger. I know Buffalo tried him at center this year, which was a disaster. So if Minnesota's thinking is they're going to be as good as they were last year, because I thought they were a solid team last year and um, they did have some good underlying numbers. But if you're rolling in the next year with Victor Rask and uh, Marcus Johansson being the one-two punch down the middle, then uh, it's not looking too good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Luke, anything to add? Yeah, and I don't want to steal your thunder on this, Pat, um, but you pointed out that after next season, the Wild only have three forwards uh, locked down. And they, they have a lot in their defense, to be fair, uh, but they have, a, they have a good defense core, so that makes sense. But, but that, position, that position on forwards, that's a very interesting position to be in uh, for a GM, for, for a person that's trying to build this team. With, with you know only it's also a bit it's a bit hectic i would say to to be in that position a lot of them are rfas so we'll see but um that's a that's a super unique position to be in and i'm really interested to see kind of what minnesota does and like i said about this trade specifically the stall trade it's not it's not totally horrific right like it's it's short term both ways yeah it's fine um it's questionable now but it's not going to hurt them in the long run so Minnesota still, I think, is in a super interesting position. And I think if, if they play their cards right, yeah, uh, like you guys have both kind of said, I think they could be on the, on the up and coming. All right. Well, let's, let's, we'll talk about the Sabres, and then I'm going to jump right back to Minnesota because we do have more notes here to talk about with them. They, they were busy this week. <laughs> they were very busy. So let's just quickly get Buffalo out of the way. Buffalo has a lot of money now. Um, only four forwards and five defensemen signed for the next season. Do you guys think they will aim for someone in free agency or do you think, you know, Eichel's getting impatient. Could they move that eighth overall pick for help right now? If they do that, Luke, do you think that's something they should do? Um, we'll start with you. What do you think the Oilers play is this off season or the Sabres? Uh, Sabres. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I definitely like with, with the position you're in with Jack Eichel, I definitely wouldn't have that off the table. Uh, that eighth pick. I mean, um, that being said, that eighth pick, if they're if they're not dumb, that could that could pull them a lot, uh, and I and I mean that in the sense of drafting. Uh, it could also pull them a lot in the sense of trading, but that's that's a that's a big risk, and I and I just I wouldn't want them to feel pressured with having Eichel in the situation he's in. Um, I I don't really know if like if I was if I was making that decision. I don't really know which way I would go, but I wouldn't put anything off the table. You have, you have a lot of potential with, with Eichel doing what he's doing and um, you know, at, at the trajectory that he's doing it in. So I don't know um, whatever they do, it's going to be, it's going to be risky and it could, it could go either way, big time. Um, that being said, I don't have an answer. So. Uh, Buffalo really interesting because they've only got 10 roster players signed for next season. I, maybe some of the younger prospects are ready to make the jump. That fills a couple of spots, but, uh, you've got Dominic Cahoon, Curtis Lazar, Tage Thompson, Victor Olofsson, Sam Reinhardt as RFAs. I think obviously Olofsson, uh, is going to stick around and probably Cahoon. It feels like Reinhardt has been on his way out of there yeah. for, at least for me, for a couple of years now, it just, there's been rumors about it on and off for a while now. So 
obviously they now have the money if they would choose to re-sign him, but I'm not sure if there's more moves that are going to come from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, but they do have the cap now just to maybe play around in free agency a bit and try and find at least some supporting cast for Eichel because he does need it. There's some decent wingers available this year. You've got Mike Hoffman, Tyler Toffoli, and uh, the bigger name, the biggest name in free agency probably this year, Taylor Hall. So maybe Buffalo is maybe going to explore something around those lines. They do have some decent prospects in the pipeline. Maybe they explore an avenue via trade. Maybe somebody like Johnny Goudreau makes sense for them. I, they, they have money now. So it's going to be all about how they spend that, right? So yeah. it's, it's hard I, to judge exactly what they're doing because they haven't come out and said otherwise. Uh, I think if I'm Buffalo, I'm leaning more towards trading current roster players and prospects um, or exploring free agency. Just real quick, Nick, would you trade the eighth overall pick for help right now for Eichel or would you keep it this year? Uh, I don't think that's smart. It's, a, it's such a good draft this year. And I yeah. think trading the eighth overall pick at this juncture would be a mistake for them. Uh, I, they're yeah. going to get a good quality player at that position. So, yep, I agree. I tweeted last night that I think they should definitely draft Anton Lundell. I think he's a center that everyone is sleeping on uh, like really hard and he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be the perfect two C to compliment Jack Eichel. Um, Eichel has demanded a lot. Um, but let's go back to, let's go back to the, the wild real quick, because they did another thing and that was, they signed Jonas Brodin to a seven year contract extension worth 42 million. Um, the average is about 6 million. Um, it includes a no move clause right away. And then the signing carries through year four of the deal. And there's a no clause at all from five to seven. Jonas Brodin, one of the most underrated defensemen in the league, one of the statistically and analytically the best shutdown defensemen or defensive defensemen in the league. Behind uh, Chris Tanev. And, and along with Chris Tanev. Behind, yep, second to Chris oh, Tanev. Second to Chris Tanev now. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Luke, what do you think about this? Uh, too much money, too much term, good move all around? Not too much money, that's for sure. Um, the term's a bit questionable, but he's not, like he's 27, Um that's not that's not a bad age if you're gonna if you're gonna give him a term like that he's like in any situation unless you know unless it's a it's one of those elite 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 players in any situation that term would kind of freak me out um but look yeah you've thrown these numbers up here i i'll let nick explain them i'm just kind of looking at words and colors but um I, i i don't i don't hate it it's I think I think that's what you kind of had to do to to get it done, so it makes sense. It's I think it's fair both ways. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Uh yeah, no, Brodeen, uh, obviously one of the more underrated defensemen in the entire National Hockey League. He's been, as you can see on the chart here, just one of the absolute defensive force and has really upped his game the past couple of years into like we see there near the 100th percentile in the league. He is truly one of the best shutdown defensemen there is. He doesn't offer much in the way of offense, but I don't think that's a huge problem when he can defend as well as he can, because, you know, at least nobody on either side of the ice is getting any chances when he's on the ice, especially not uh, any opposition. So he's, he's a very solid player. And uh, I think that's a good smart move for the Minnesota wild. Probably the term is a bit much, but that's the going rate for defensemen, even now when they're still 27, 28 years old, they're going to get longer term deals. So I, I don't mind this at all for the Minnesota wild. I think it's a good move. Yep. Brodeen, one of my uh, more favorite defensemen, Lee, I would love him on Montreal, but this sort of 
leads to something a little more tricky with the Minnesota Wild. We've talked about how they're in a really weird um, predicament for the expansion draft. They now have to protect Brodeen, Spurgeon, Parise, uh, Zuccarello, and Suter. Spurgeon, for example, has a no-move clause for four years. And in the last three years, he has a modified no-move clause um, where he has to submit a 10-team no-trade list in July of 2023. Um, assuming you're Minnesota, you protect eight skaters. You already have the aforementioned five players who you have to protect. What are the three you add? Fial is one of them. I'm assuming you ha- you're going to protect him. You kind of have to. Um, Erickson Eck, are they going to play him at center? Do you... Do you trade Dumba? That's another question. Dumba's name is all over the league right now. Is he a potential uh, a trade option? What do you guys think uh, the Minnesota Wild are going to do going into the expansion draft? Luke, we'll start with you. Um, I'll speak on Dumba. I think like that's a, again, like that, that the Dumba situation, I wouldn't call it a problem. I, and maybe that's no one would, but I, I think if I were, if I were Minnesota, I would, I don't know. I, I think I would trade him to the Vancouver Canucks. I'd trade him to Vancouver for like a fourth rounder. Maybe. I don't know. No, I, I think I would trade him. Um, what are the options for the expansion I, draft again? It, it, you can go seven forwards, three defensemen, one yeah. goalie. Can you not? Yeah. Um, I would, trade him. You, I would have, trade him. you already have five. Final answer. The five you have to, no matter what, are Brodeen, Spurgeon, Parise, Zuccarello, Suter. So two defensemen or three, def- yeah, two defensemen. Like, how are you out well, of the in, in that situation, if they still had Dumba and they like Dumba, they could protect Dumba. But I, I don't think you'd scenario. want to be in that in that situation per right, se. Right, because then you're exposing another defenseman. Someone. I, I'm not sure who else and they I, have. If I they think have else if they're going to make, if they're going to make a move like that with the, obviously with the, uh, with Seattle in mind, uh, I think, I think, you know, make, make it with Dumba, make it with one of your defense. And I think, I think he's, he's the best option. And it's, it's clearly something's going on after what we've been seeing for who knows how long now, but I, yeah, I, I think, I would, I would trade him. I'm, I was pretty on the fence, but just, just looking at this and thinking about this, I would probably move him sooner than later. That's that's the thing. I think Dumba almost has to be traded because you have to protect those three defensemen, Brodine, right. Spurgeon, Suter. Parise is on a brutal contract. I don't see any situation where he would waive his no move clause to go somewhere else. Also, he's making uh, way too much money for the kind of player he is. Matt Zuccarello is another one. So that leaves Fiala, Dumba, Kunin, um, and Erickson Eck. Of those three, you trade Dumba, then that way you can protect Fiala, Kunin, and Eric's neck. Or do you protect Fiala, Dumba, and Kunin and then expose Eric's neck? What that what Parise think? deal sucks. It's brutal. Brutal. One oh, of the worst. Well, they were they were close to dealing him. Remember, we all thought he was on yep. his way out at the trade deadline this yep. year. We thought he was going to Long Island. I'm not sure. I think that's something that's gonna come up because usually when deals are really close like that, I usually tend to find they're revisited. I wouldn't be surprised if this offseason that deal is revisited. But if Minnesota is going to move a player on pure talent, I think it's got to be Dumba. I think Dumba's got to be the one that's on his way out in terms of perceived value. Dumba's worth a lot more to uh, a bunch of teams just based on the fact that he's a flashier right-handed defenseman. uh, And that brings more value to the table than what he actually brings on the ice, way more. Because Matt Dumba on the ice... uh, 
while I love Matt Dumba off the ice, on the ice, he doesn't do much for me. So yep, I agree. I, he's definitely Ooh. someone who's carried by his name. Right. Who signed that Parise deal? Like, who was the... Uh, that would be Chuck Flesher. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's brutal. It's one of the worst contracts in the league, and no one ever talks about it. So yeah. maybe, maybe you... Um, I don't, maybe, maybe if he waives his no-move clause and they move on from that, what, 7.6 mil? How much is it? Yeah. It's just over 7 five. mil. Yeah. Five, yeah. And then he had way, a good past couple of years, to be fair. Yeah, and he is someone who, again... that term is... The term is insane. Horrific. But he's another player, again, we talked so much about perceived value. Maybe he goes to a team like Buffalo who needs a second-line center, and you protect Dumba. You have Dumba, Spurgeon, um, Suter, Brodeen. You have your your defense sort of solidified. It's a really tricky situation. I would not put Erickson Eck as a one center or second line center for Minnesota whatsoever. So it's a really awkward situation for them to be in. I think if they, again, they're another like Montreal, they're a tweener team. They have, um, there are things that are good and just as easily there are things that are bad with them. Um, If I could make a trade, I would definitely look to move Dumba because you can maximize your value for him. Probably get a first round pick, maybe more picks, uh B level prospect definitely do well with that. So are we all in agreement? Move Dumba? Yeah, I would say move yeah. Dumba. It's it's the obvious move out of that. All right. To expand on Dumba, Michael Russo from the Athletic in Minnesota reported that he is likely on the move, as we as we mentioned. Um six mil for the next three seasons before becoming a UFA. What is a realistic destination for Matt Dumba Nick? I would say Vancouver is because, uh, no offense, Luke, I think Vancouver would be one of the teams that would be likely to overestimate his value and be excited by the prospect that he is a (laughs) right-handed defenseman and is a big name. So I think Vancouver in that respect makes a lot of sense. Um, I would be inclined to say Toronto is smarter than to bring in Dumba for a high package price, but then again, they brought in Cody CC last year, so I guess nothing's really <laughs> off the table. And I guess if they brought in Dumba, it wouldn't really surprise me. Um, it wouldn't hurt. I, it would hurt. He's about the same as Tyson Berry, I'd say. Okay. What? Wait, you think? Wait, reiterate. I that? will. I will. I will concede that Dumba is one of the more overrated defensemen in the league. Yeah. And I think he is. Uh, but on par with Tyson Berry. I don't, I, I, I'm not going to hang on. I Hi, really, are you claiming that Patrick? Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I'm going to concede that. Yes, he is very overrated. He is um, overvalued because of his uh, size and shot and all of that. He doesn't do much offensively for me. I would agree with, with Nick there, but Nick, you got Luke and I or more Luke. Cause I haven't looked at the numbers. Uh, Matt Dumba, basically Tyson Berry. I, I don't think it's that far off. Like I, I didn't think that was that wild of a take. <laughs> I'm not saying I, I you're wrong. I'm, just saying, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't know because I haven't looked. Yeah, at it, but ba- Barry can't defend. Um, you know, Dumba's not great in his own zone either. But it, Barry at least provides a bit of uh, offense okay, and even you know strength. What? Yeah. Now that I'm kind of looking yeah, at okay. it, that's not crazy actually. All I right. take back my gasp. I yeah, you know, so, yeah, Dumba's okay offensively and even strong. I'm just looking at the numbers now. Dumba, Dumba penalty kills a bit, which Tyson Berry doesn't do, and T- Dumba's a decent penalty killer. But I would say they're both at even strength. They're pretty similar players. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair so so that, that would be a lateral move for Toronto. And I think they need to upgrade. Yeah. I can't really think of any too many other destinations. Maybe somebody like Edmonton would be, I, I'm just thinking of teams that would definitely overvalue him. Edmonton yeah. and needs need defense, right? And um, they need defensemen. They're desperate. So especially Vancouver, they have no one back there. So uh, anyway, let's uh, I think that's all we have for Minnesota. We have talked I, last thing I'm going to say on Minnesota. Yep. If Calgary is selling off assets and with the cap space they now have, I would definitely be calling the phone. I think Sean Monahan makes a lot of sense for yep. Minnesota. They need a centerman. Uh, I wouldn't mind to see them kick tires on Goudreau, uh, Backland even. Like yep. Calgary selling, uh, Bill Guerin should be on the phone. Yep. Uh, let's actually one last thing because I wanted to get to this. This is sort of Minnesota. Uh, Bill Guerin said Galchenyuk most likely not coming back. Luke, I've seen a couple tweets on the twitter about maybe vancouver i am on twitter okay uh if you didn't know uh about vancouver having potential interest in alex galchenyuk would you sign would would you personally sign galchenyuk one year one mil just to give it a shot well i two mil great power play one year one mil one year one mil well i want to say sure like why not but would you take one, him over for 1 million to Vancouver right now is, is a lot. Um, I, I don't hate it. I just, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing that right now as, as Jim Benning. I'm not sure that's where, where you need to be looking. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't hate the player. I don't, I don't hate that hypothetical deal. Would you um, take him over for Tannen? Yeah. And I think if you're of, Vancouver, you should take him over Tannen. And a lot of that is still there. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of that, I think, like we've reiterated, I think every show over Tannen should be on his way out. Yeah. Um, do you guys, do you guys really think that would be a good move? I, I am the complete opposite on this one. I think that would be a disaster. I, I, I think, just, I just don't think, like it's, it's just, it's not a good move. It's I'm not, not a bad move. I, yeah, I'm not the only reason I say that is because I for think, I'm suggesting. If for Tannen's oh, on way out, a UFA, so right. So that's what, yeah. So I'm not, but I think, look, they're both sim- they're both in similar situations, but I think at some point Vancouver has to move on from Vertanen. We've talked about this endlessly. Oh yeah, I and 100% if agree. you if you move on from him, because I don't think they, they want to bring him back, why not? But take they will a, just watch. Why not, they will. Why not take a flyer on someone like Galchenyuk if Vertanen's on his way out? Galchenyuk can still I, score goals. He can help on the power play. I just but don't I, think there's any point. Like, okay. I don't disagree with the premise of that, but I think if you're, I think if the expectation is on Galchenyuk to replicate Vertanen's uh, offensive qualities, I think that's completely off the board. Because I'll just pull up another graphic here on Galchenyuk. Uh, obviously, a brilliant power play player, and maybe that would help Vancouver to a degree. That's, but as they you see, there on even strength, he is. He's a tire fire and has Fair been enough. for a while. So Fair enough. I would only, I thought I'd ask the Canucks fan on the call because the only other option I've seen got, because if, I think if he, he's eligible to sign in the KHL now, I think if he, if he wanted to go there, it would have happened already. I think the only two, not only two teams, but I think teams that would have potential interest would be Vancouver. If not Vancouver, then um, Edmonton, but I'm just curious what your thoughts were on that, Luke. Um, I, I wrote, I wrote back in the winter, no, sorry, back in the spring, that the uh, Senators should explore him uh, as a UFA option for them this year. I think I think a team like that would make sense just because, uh, you know, whereas Vancouver needs 
more of a winning now focus. I think Ottawa has proven with Duclair that, uh, you know, they can take like a lesser player and, you know, put him in a better situation uh, to succeed right now and probably try and elevate his value and get him back to what he was always supposed to be because he's never now going to be what Montreal drafted him to be. But yeah, there's there might still be a player there despite the fact that he is like 25, 26 years old now. So maybe Ottawa makes sense. Maybe somebody like Ottawa, mm-hmm. Buffalo maybe, yep. if, you, if you're really trying to fill out the bottom of your roster. But then again, now Minnesota has a bunch of space and they're going to, they need roster spots. So maybe right. bringing him back makes sense, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So, yep. And that would be his 15th, fourth, fourth team in just as many years. So let's uh, move on from that. That's a lot of Minnesota wild talk. Uh, coaching change sure. happened. Um, and I don't think we covered it yet. Uh, Peter Laviolette replaces Todd Reardon, Washington Capitals. Washington was eliminated by New York in first round in only five games. Obviously pretty disappointing. Um, Laviolette is someone, I think you have the heat map there, who very limited offensive coach, but Again, the NHL is notorious for recycling uh, old school coaches. What do you think, Luke? We'll start with you. I, like I, I don't. As for the hire itself and for what he's going to bring, I don't know. I don't. I'm not against it. I what I am kind of sick of is just like these. There's always like five coaches out of work. And they just cycle around the league. And it's just, I don't, I don't know why it bothers me. Like, it makes sense. They're obviously good established coaches. But but this was so expected. Like, oh, who's, who's Washington going to hire? There's, you know, there's a pick of four or five guys. And, you know, they're not going to dare, dare venture out. So, I don't know. That's, it's just, it didn't surprise me. And it's just... It's, I don't know. It's kind of getting boring to me, even though coach hirings aren't supposed to be an exciting thing. So I I don't know. I don't hate the hire, but it's just kind of getting meh. Yeah. I know. And this, this leaves now Babcock, who I never thought would go there. Gerard Gallant, you have Bruce Boudreau, others still on the market. Uh, I hate the NHL does this. A coach that I've liked a lot in, um, in Tampa system is Benoit Gru. And I've always wanted, I'm always like when new coaches get a chance, but that being said, you have Ovechkin, you have Backstrom, you have these guys who are going to want some more familiarity with, with who they're dealing with. So I can see the mindset, but Nick, what do you think? Yeah, this, this definitely doesn't do it for me. Uh, I think the Laviolette hire, I, I think they got it completely wrong here. I think the capital is just, he's not, enough of a good coach of offense for the Washington Capitals. And obviously when you have so many stars like Kuznetsov and Ovechkin that are so sporadic in how they play and they're very, Ovechkin is very predictable. Kuznetsov is completely unpredictable. Like you have so many variables in their offense. I I think they got it completely wrong here because I think now we're going to see Alex Ovechkin back blocking shots. At least that's what Laviolette is going to want. Um, so this really doesn't do it for me. I think, uh, I think I wanted to see Bruce Boudreau return Luke. I don't know. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but like, I I would, I would have loved that. I think that would have been a great storyline. I think Bruce Boudreau just got disrespected almost by the Minnesota wild last year because he was doing a great job until he got fired. Um, 
And I think uh, Gerard Gallant equally would have been a great hire because I think he's gotten the raw end of the stick. Yeah. Oh, um, that, that one for sure. Twice. I would agree on that one. Um, and I think, I think Pat kind of mentioned it um, about, about the guy in Tampa. I, and, and it kind of, it's relevant. Agree. It's relevant today because of what Toronto did. Um, hiring Manny Malhotra as from, from Vancouver as their, assistant coach and i know pat you're going to want to speak on malhotra because um i i caught a bit of your opinion in our notes for this show i think that was a phenomenal hire and in reference to washington i i like seeing that so much more than than recycling the same few guys over and over again so you know like Malhotra specifically, I was not a fan of seeing him leave Vancouver. That that really sucks. Uh, but I mean, it's it's awesome for him. There's there's a really good Sportsnet article that I happened to read literally yesterday with no uh, expectation of this happening. And for for him to first of all do what he did in Vancouver, and now he's getting a you know he's moving up. Uh, position wise in Toronto. I'm, I'm super excited for him. It sucks that he's leaving Vancouver, but Pat, I might actually throw this back to you to hear what you have to say about Manny Malhotra. Well, look, I don't know. I know about him, the person just based on what I've read, look, it seems as if the Canucks sort of cheaped out uh, with him. And maybe I don't, not- I don't think that was a, I don't think that was a, a discussion point at all. I think it was more, Toronto appro- and multiple teams approached Vancouver about Malhotra, Toronto being one of them. I don't, I don't think there's any issue with, with contract right. extensions. So, I think. So maybe not um, cheap out, but maybe I don't want to say didn't value him, but he's someone that I think would be great in Vancouver working with the younger players. I think he was extremely valued in Vancouver. And I, I think he was, I think this is just a casualty of, um, you know, Vancouver having too many qualified personnel. I, you can't, yeah, like, I don't think you can make an argument for wanting to disband their coaching staff in any way after the run Vancouver just had. And after the season they just had, right. Travis green obviously deserves uh, the full respect that he's earned there. And he's earned uh, his coaching staff has earned the trust of the management and the players there. So I think if you were to remove somebody just to fit in Manny Malhotra because he's qualified would have been a mistake. Um, at least, no matter how good or valuable Manny Malhotra could be to them. So it, it's a tough position, but that's what happens when you have so many qualified personnel. And that's why, you know, we've seen it, it happens in management often when uh, qualified assistant GMs are uh, nabbed by other teams for GM positions. That's that it's just a casualty of having a good coaching or management mm-hmm. phase. It's just part of the recycling aspect of the sport. Yeah, I don't really have much else to add on Manny Malhotra. I know he was an excellent face-off guy. Um, Luke, I feel like I you saw have more just because, because you were kind of slandering uh, Vancouver management there, Not- just uh, just a little bit. Um, I, I saw a tweet from Ian McIntyre uh, today saying, "Good on Vancouver for for letting Malhotra get to that point, for letting the discussions happen, and obviously, eventually, uh, the Leafs picking him up." I, he said it looks good on on the Vancouver management slash coaching staff. I agree. I wouldn't say it was at all anything to do with not seeing eye to eye. Not to put words in your mouth, Patrick, but um, I really like 
objectively, I really like what he's done. It just, it's tough to, tough to see him go. Cause I know a lot of the players, Bo Horvat specifically really, um, really excelled from, from what he had to offer. I don't think there was any malicious intent. And I guess that's not what I was trying to get across notes wise. I just think he's someone you would look to keep around. Not that this is a bad, not that it's awful that they let him go, but I just think if you're Vancouver, why wouldn't you want to keep him around? I understand well, it's I, a step up. But I, I think for his sake, I think Vancouver did the right thing in saying, you know what, he's going to get a bigger opportunity in Toronto. Yeah, we could keep him here where he is. Right. But for, for Malhotra's sake as a person, I think, you know, it was the right thing to do to let him go if he, you know, assumed he wanted to go, which he yep. did. I think that's fair. I would like to circle back to coaching because we were on the uh, Peter Laviolette discussion. Does Toronto, even with this move, Leafs fans are seem pretty, I don't want to say set, but there's a lot of speculation that Bruce Boudreaux takes an assistant role in Toronto. Do you think the Manny Malhotra hire changes that? Do you still think they look to add him? Uh, Nick, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, do you think this is a possibility or is it just Leafs hysteria? Like I just said to Luke uh, earlier, like I thought Bruce Boudreaux, I thought this was the time to bring him back to Washington and see that again. I think it would be a good hire for Toronto because, like I said, Bruce Boudreau got really the short end of the stick in Minnesota last year um, and didn't get enough credit for what he did with that roster because it wasn't much of one or not at least something that any of us expected to be good. But he had them right in the thick of the playoff race until he was let go right towards uh, the trade deadline, which was super interesting move. Uh, not one that I agree with from Bill Guerin, but that one sort of seemed like the writing was always on the wall. I think it'd be a good hire for Toronto. They need Sheldon Keefe needs to fill out his coaching staff. Now. I think this is uh, the summer now where he's going to be able to do that because obviously he inherited Babcock's uh, new set of assistant coaches last year. Cause we forget that both Haxtell and McFarland were new to the club last year. And obviously McFarland's moved on. I'm not sure if there's any update on what Haxtell's status is, but I'm assuming he's not going to be back with that team. I could have missed something in there, but I'm going to assume he's not back with the team. Um, but I think hiring Boudreaux as an assistant would be a good move for Toronto, just like I think bringing in Malhotra is, because uh, I'll circle back to that one just quickly, because I think we all knew if there was any other team that was going to be smart and look outside the box, it was probably going to be Toronto, as much as that might uh, hurt some of the non-Leaf fans on the show, being all of us. Uh, they do have a good track record with you know, looking in different places to fill out their organization, which is good. So obviously I think that would be a good move for them bringing. I think, yeah, if, if, if he ends up in Toronto as well, that's like, that's three really high quality coaches behind the bench for Toronto. And I think, I think Malhotra and obviously I'm biased. I will admit it. I think Malhotra is either very close or already there to be head coach caliber and i and i i mentioned it to you guys earlier um when i was when i was reading said article i was thinking you know what um not to say travis green should be leaving anytime soon but i'd love to see malhotra take over and i i would i would put money on the fact malhotra is going to be a head coach in the next five years for yeah he sure. seems like he's on that trajectory for sure so well okay i want to expand on that because look the expectation from these fans is that Boudreaux would rather go as an assistant to Toronto than a head coaching gig. 
Boudreaux is obviously still a head coach. I don't think that's up for debate at this point, but the idea behind it is because he's from Toronto, he would do that. Do you think it's more likely, and I'll start with you, Nick, that he takes an assistant coaching job in Toronto or finds a head coaching job um, perhaps in Seattle um, or, or a different team because coaches get fired every single year. So what do you think happens with Bruce Boudreaux? Yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't think as long as there's a head coaching job uh, offered to him, I don't see why he would forego that just to go and assistant coach in Toronto. I, yeah, I don't, I, I think that's just another, Oh, he's from Toronto. Let's bring him home type thing. Uh, Cause you know, we heard about Stamkos for two years before he resigned in Tampa. We yeah. heard about Tavares for his whole career before he actually did come home that time. Mm-hmm. I think this just to a lesser degree, another it's of the same batch in that. So I, I don't see why Bruce Boudreaux, I don't think that would be smart for him either to pass up a head coaching gig just to go assistant in Toronto. I think as long as somebody offers him a job and I think somebody will, because he's got a really good, he's one of the most underrated coaches of this era, despite the fact that he doesn't have a lot of playoff success or really any playoff success, which is startling. He definitely has been probably the best regular season coach of the past 10 years. And I I don't think that's something we can just ignore. No. He coached a bunch of great Washington teams and he took the Minnesota wild to a number of uh, great seasons, including the best in their franchise history, I think back in 2015, 16. So as long as somebody offers him a head coaching job and I'm sure somebody will soon, uh, I don't see why he would just simply skip out on that to become an assistant. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. I would agree. Again, it points to the Leafs hysteria that we often talk about. And I do want to expand a little bit more on Leafs because it's rare. We have an episode where we don't poke fun at, uh, at the Maple Leafs. Um, Nick, you and I talked about this about two, three weeks ago. Sheldon Keefe and sort of how the expectations were him for him were much higher uh, than maybe what should have been expected. Do you think, I don't want to say, do you think he's overrated? Cause it's obviously, it's a, he hasn't been in the league long enough to, for people to make that claim, but is Keefe really the guy for Toronto to get them a cup and sort of put them over the edge? Um, or do you think he will need that support like Mal Holtra, like Bruce Boudreaux? Uh, it, it's too early to say on Keith still, obviously he come, he came in with a great track record and as is the case often in Toronto, I think everybody got carried away in the hype and, you know, everybody was pointing towards maybe the similarities between this Leafs team now and what happened with Pittsburgh back in, uh, the late two thousand, the late two thousands, uh, like 2009 ish when, uh, they brought in Dan Bilesma halfway through the 2009 season Michelle Terrian yep. got rid of Michelle Terrian and went on to win the Stanley cup. And I think people were pointing to sort of the similarities in that, but I think everybody got caught too, got too caught up in that because look at the mid season coaching change. That's taken a team to the cup final in Dallas. We all missed that one. Yeah. But um, it's too early to say in Keefe uh, exactly because a, he hasn't had his own coaching staff, which I think, every coach needs to get their fair shake and their fair observation. Um, He needs a full year with the team as well. He obviously is probably, they're going to be improved and more so what he wants in a team when he gets a full training camp underway and all that. So yeah, too early to say. 
Luke, think, uh, do you think there's sort of any not hysteria, but what do you think of the whole Keefe situation? I I don't I don't see why not. Like like you ask, can he lead that team to a Stanley Cup? Yeah, he can. Um, I really can don't he? see what. Yes, I I feel like people have this thing that that you need to have. Um, you need to have, for for example, uh, a Laviolette or Boudreau, one of those established guys. Yeah. Uh, behind your bench to win a cup. That is such, no, I, I really don't such think no. so. If yeah. Keith is a good coach and I think he is, obviously he needs a bit more time than half a season to, to kind of establish himself. Yeah. He can absolutely lead them to a cup. I, I, I really hope if Toronto struggles over the next few years, it's not blamed on him unless it's his fault. I hope it's not blamed <laughs> on him. When, <laughs> when Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are are struggling to to bring a Stanley Cup to Toronto. I I just think people, you know, NHL fans think think if you don't, if you don't have one of those one of those guys behind your bench, you're not going to do it. So okay, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm on Sheldon Keefe's side. In, yes, in all this. and I'm not he saying absolutely has the potential. I'm not anti Keefe, and I definitely think he's a good coach, and he did great with the with the Marlies and the prospects there, and I think he is a good coach, and he probably could. I'm just saying the expectations once Babcock were fired and the talk surrounding Keefe was that he was like the savior for the team. He is why after, after years of the least hyping up Mike Babcock as one of the top five coaches in the national hockey league, they turned on him so quickly and were so, it didn't seem difficult for them to just say, no, Keefe, Keefe will fix it. Sheldon Keefe will keep, will fix it. And that's not a bad thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, I'm of the belief that you should give younger coaches the opportunity. And I do think Keefe is a good coach, but do you think the expectations for him were a bit too high? Cause he can only do so much with the, yeah. With the yes, I do. I think, I think you're, you're right in a way that the Leafs fans kind of thought, okay, here's our savior. We're going to turn it around now. And obviously that didn't happen seeing uh, they couldn't get by Columbus in the playing round. Yeah, um, That's tough. Um, I think I think Toronto fans, Toronto media did that to themselves, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at too. Uh, yeah, Keith Keith was seen as you know what here he comes. He's replacing the the bad man in in uh, Babcock, and he's gonna he's gonna carry us to a cup. Like, no, that's that's just so unfair. It's something and, that Keith can't help. It's it's yeah, it's a byproduct of being under the just, microscope in Toronto. That's yeah, they've done it, it to themselves. So it's. If, if, if they have an issue with, with Keefe, it's, it's, and they, I mean, Toronto fans, if fans have an issue with Keefe, it's on the fans. It's not on Keefe right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm not even sure that giving him just next year is like a fair assessment of his yeah. coaching abilities. Like he needs like a proper tenure as coach to be fully assessed of what he's capable of. He needs like two, three years before we can say, okay, are we headed in the right direction? Are the Leafs really cup bound yet? He could win a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years. We don't know. They obviously mm-hmm. have the talent where they should be closer um, than what they currently are or what they have been in the past few years. So I think we just need to see what Keith brings in assistant wise, what he does with the team in training camp and the sort of personnel lineup decisions that he makes because the Leafs roster is going to be different next year. So I think they need to take at least a couple more years uh, the media needs to give Keith more of a chance, but I think any criticism on him is probably just 
um, misdirected because, you know, we can get into this on another date, but all the anger right now on Dubess and this is Dubess is higher. So anything that Keith does is a reflection of Dubess and vice yeah. versa. So that's, that's the reality, but obviously we're going to hear a lot of, about more. We're going to hear a lot it more. We're going to hear about it more than any other team because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Wow, that is true. A, had trouble getting that one out, but we got there. Let's, let's, uh, we'll keep it going in terms of coaching as uh, Jim Montgomery is getting a second chance in the NHL. Um, St. Louis picked him up and he, that was less than I think he was fired in about December from Dallas for. Was he fired? Or was he, yeah, fired or. Was, he was let go. He was fired. Yeah. Uh, for well, I'm I'm really happy for him. Like that's that's really good to see. Yes, I think. but it was unprofessional behavior or misconduct. Um, Wednesday, well, he has been sober for over my, nine months now. Yeah. I didn't know what it was actually related to alcohol. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think I, it's pretty exciting. It came up around the same time as all the other yes. um, coach abuse allegations, so I feel like it kind of got roped in with those. And obviously, I don't know exactly what happened, but it's my understanding it was a. Uh, I'm getting into like kind of dangerous territory, but it's my understanding it was kind of a personal issue. Uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but clearly seeing he's been hired back, he's he's figured it out. He's on the right track. I th- I'm really happy for him. Um, I don't think there is any reason to have any um, to have any any negative thoughts towards him when when that all went down with Dallas. So I think it's really good to see. Um, yeah, I, I, in terms of coaching, I, I don't have too many comments on, but just in terms of him as a person, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, I think he's a decent coach. He had Dallas on the right track last year, got them to game seven of the second round of the playoffs when they lost to St. Louis. He had them on the right track. And obviously, uh, we don't know the details of why he was let go in Dallas. I'm sure uh, Jim Nill is a very highly respected GM, and I'm sure he definitely had cause to do um, what he did. And I'm still a believer in people like that deserve a second chance. He is entitled to that chance. If he had any personal issues, whether it was related to any substance abuse of something like that, or just any personal issues he was suffering from. And I think it's good that the NHL is giving second chances to people like Jim Montgomery, because he definitely deserves it. And I'm glad that uh, for him and for St. Louis that they both uh, agreed and he's going to be coaching there next year. So I think it's a good opportunity for him. And I'm, I'm glad he got it because like you said, Pat, he is uh, nine months sober Yep, and that's really good to hear. And I think that's something that should be celebrated. So it's good for him that he is getting this second chance. I think we do. That's something we've talked about plenty on this show and like hockey. And I think this could re- lead to more conversation, hopefully in hockey about, um, second chances and how you can grow as a person. He has a quote here. Sometimes it takes an unbearable consequence in your life to happen, to have an unbelievable breakthrough. And that's the way I look at it. Um, I'm just very thankful for what happened because now I'm, I'm a much better person every day and obviously a better husband, father and son. I think that's um, I think that's a great thing. And I'm happy he's getting a second chance. Yeah. Good for him. That's and great. If I, if I remember correctly, when, when I don't even remember when that was, when was he, when did he leave Dallas? It feels it was like about forever. Thirty-two ago. games into his second season, so that, that would be. I, and December. if I remember correctly, I, I kind of perceived it. Dallas was pretty supportive of, of, of the situation and of him, 
Um, I guess technically he was fired. I haven't read too much into it, but I think it was kind of the way I heard of it. It was kind of a, a mutual decision between the two that, that for his sake, he should maybe step away Yeah. just, and you know, in the, in the media release, et cetera, of all that stuff, it sounded like, it sounded like Dallas management was, was on his side. So it's, it's, yeah, it's good to see. Yep. I like that quite a bit. And he said, I wish them luck. And because of me, I'm not with them, but I like, I think there's no, there's no hard feelings in a way where we've heard about obviously um, plenty of, of coach slash player abuse last year. Um, let's move on from that a little bit. And we're going to circle back to Washington because they are in an, another, I feel like we've talked about goalies so much since we've started uh, doing these there's shows. There's a but, lot of, a lot of change in goalies in the NHL yes. that's going to happen this summer. So it's going to so, be something we're going to continue to talk about. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about Washington a bit because they're in a situation and obviously more news broke about Ovechkin, but we're going to start with Braden Holtby. So he's expected to test the market he's 31. Um, he had a pretty rough year. Uh, Worst goals against average, 3.11 and 8.97 save percentage. Not great, um, but even in the system, you have Samsonov, who I think is going to be great, but then you have Phoenix Copley, Vitek Vonacek in the system. Do you think he takes a cut and maybe they work as a tandem of Holtby and Samsonov, or do you think he tests the market? Because he still has that name value. He's still a good goaltender. He just had a rough year. Um, what do you guys think he does? And Luke, I will start with you. Uh, I think he's in, he's in kind of an unfortunate situation. Like ideally if he had, if he had like a year left, that'd be perfect. Um, Cause you know, after, after this season, like you said, Pat, <clears throat> not great. Uh, if, if he kind of had a bit more time to see, uh, was that a fluke or is this actually Braden Holtby now? So that's kind of tough. Um, I would probably, I would probably go try to tandem it. Uh, I, cause like he's, he is Braden Holpe. There's no way. I really hope he didn't, he didn't drop off like that for real. I, I think, you know, in, in discussions about second chances, I'd, I'd put some faith in him. Um, Washington's not exactly in a position where, uh, they can take that kind of risk. So I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky situation, but if, uh, if it was up to me, I would probably, I'd keep him around maybe in a reduced role. I don't know. I think, I think you would, I think he, he seems, and I'm basing this on absolutely nothing just to clarify. He seems like someone who would be willing to take a pay cut. I don't think he would chase the money, but again, we'll see Nick, what do you think tandem? Do you think they target someone else? What happens with Braden Holpe? I think I disagree with you there. I think Holpe's going to take this chance and test the open market because uh, we've seen over the past couple of years with Bobrovsky recently, how expensive the market for, starting goalies really is and how far a name can take you. And he does have a strong name. He is a Stanley cup winning goaltender. I think this was a bad, bad year for him, especially to have the worst year of his career, obviously it being a contract year, because if he put up a performance similar to uh, what he did when the Washington capitals won the Stanley cup in 2018, I think we're looking in the Bobrovsky range of contracts. Like I really do. I think somebody would have, offered that up, whether that would be the right decision or not, that's a debate for a different time. Cause that's just purely hypothetical, but obviously a rough time for him to have a bad year. I do still think that he's going to have plenty of interest because starting goalies are really can make or break a team in the NHL. And I think somebody will take a good look at him in the open market and he'll have plenty of suitors. I'm not sure if it makes sense for Washington to bring him back. Obviously, if they can get him on a pay cut, 
then you obviously look at bringing him back, but I don't think he's going to take one. He's 31. This is his big ticket to free agency. This really is only going to come once for him in his career. So I don't see why he and his agent wouldn't at least explore the open market and see what's out there for Washington. I think handing the starting keys to Samsonov, it's probably a bit premature to do that. He's only had one year in the NHL so far, and he was good in his rookie year. I think exploring something more short term would be, a wise decision. Maybe somebody like Thomas Grice, who's older, he's 34 years old, but he has proven that he is an effective goalie in a tandem. So maybe if they want to bring in him on a shorter term deal, which is what he'll get, uh, maybe mid-range cost and split the starts with Samsonov, I think that would make a lot of sense. I really like that fit for the Capitals. I just don't think the fit is there with Holpe. I think they sort of have contrasting ideologies as to what they both want right now. So I, I think Braden Holpe is going to hit the market. That's just my gut feeling on it. Luke, do you have anything to add or can we continue on with the Washington Capitals discussion? I think uh, Braden Holpe, I want him to be able, I like, I like players betting on themselves. I especially like goalies betting on themselves, but it's just unfortunate for him. If he wants to bet on himself, he's not in a great position to do it. So Yep, and that sort of, again, it also depends on what he thinks and what management thinks about their window, which we're going to get into. If he thinks they can win again, um, which again is definitely up for debate, I think they can personally, then he might, that's where his situation, we might be willing to take a pay cut. Otherwise, he's obviously going to test the market. But um, report that um, Ovechkin is looking for 12 million or over, maybe, on his next deal. Um Again, we saw the back the Backstrom contract um, that he, had, he signed earlier last year, nine point two million until twenty twenty six, and he's already thirty two years old. Is this a dangerous move that the Capitals are playing here? I understand Ovechkin's a fantastic hockey player and one of the best we'll ever see in our lifetime, but that does seem like a lot. And if you're going to go all in, it's similar to the Pittsburgh Penguins situation. You better surround these players with even better players, not even better players, but solid players to help them uh, have a chance at the cup again. Um, Nick, what do you think about this uh, situation? Yeah, first off, I just want to give credit to the source here. I just want to make sure we're doing that. Uh, Russian machine never breaks. The Washington Capitals website was the one that uh, sort of broke this yesterday, that Ovechkin's going to be looking for over 12 million on his next contract. Look, Ovi's obviously been everything the Washington Capitals ever could have dreamed of. And I think we all, anybody liked it when he won that Stanley Cup back in 2018. I think that was one of the best feel-good stories in hockey uh, in a long time, at least one of the best since I've started watching hockey. I don't think any contract that keeps Ovechkin in Washington the rest of his career is a bad contract. He's earned it. He's battled his entire career through everything, through not being able to win past the second round. That was an issue forever. Although that feels like a long time ago, that was an issue that persisted forever and something that always circled him. And he's battled against that his entire career. And like I said, won that Stanley cup back in 2018, he's going to be chasing Wayne Gretzky's goal scoring record. And I think the Washington capitals are sort of in a position right now where with Ovechkin getting up there in age, same thing with Nick Backstrom, they're sort of transitioning out. They're on the back end of their cup window. They've probably only got a couple of real good years left at it. So I think 
eventually they're going to become a team that's solely focused on getting Alexander Ovechkin goals, which is going to be just as fun in my opinion. So I think anything that they can do to keep him there is a worthwhile investment on their part, just because that's going to keep people in the seats and that's going to keep national attention on the Capitals. I can't envision the Washington Capitals without Alexander Ovechkin. I can't envision Alexander Ovechkin on a different team. So I think money should be no object here. That's just how I see it. Oh, Mill. Luke, let's get your thoughts and then we'll keep going in this Ovechkin discussion. Um, a lot of what's going around about Ovechkin seems to be specifically about breaking that record, which is great. It means you're scoring goals, obviously. Uh, from both sides, though, why are you paying him $12 million to do that? Uh, and I know I'm saying, why are you paying him $12 million to, to score goals at a Wayne Gretzky pace in a way? Uh, I, 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 it doesn't really make sense to me. If, if that is important to Ovechkin, I don't know, you know where that ranks on his list of things he wants to do. But if that's important to Ovechkin, why are you asking for, for that much money? And from the capital side, if you are, if you're thinking about the, the, you know, where Ovechkin is in his career and maybe what the kinds of things that, that are on said list of priorities, why would you pay him that much money? Um, yeah, he's Alex Ovechkin. He's, he's one of the best players to ever play. I just, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not saying it won't happen. It's not out of this world, but just, just where the team is at and where he is at, it's, I don't know. It's just a bit, it's a bit different. So what would, and I know the, this is hard to sort of propose because he's only making, not only making, he's making 9.3, 9.5 um, this year. Good value for what he is right now. I would ben, still say. Excellent value. Do, when you re-sign him, assuming that's what they do in 2021, he's 35 years old. How much is a fine number for Ovechkin, including term, it's a tricky situation because most 35 year old UFAs, you wouldn't sign for more money or more term. Ovechkin's a special case, obviously. And I definitely think he's going to break Wayne Gretzky's record. So Nick, what do you think is a reasonable number uh, for Ovechkin? If you are, if you do resign him in uh, as a UFA, you know, you guys know me, I'm usually a bit of uh, a stickler when it comes to like these things. And I criticize GMs for bad contracts all the time, but I, I just do really think that this is a special case when you have a total enigma like this, that is Alexander Ovechkin, somebody that has been with that team forever and somebody who's been as dominant for as long as he is. And he, the one thing that we haven't mentioned here, he's not slowing up. The production hasn't slowed. And I know everybody has been thinking, when is it going to slow up for Ovechkin? Everybody thought he was done back in like 2014, 15, and he's still a point per game or over that, player he is still unbelievably effective so i don't think that there's a bad number that you can put on this contract i really don't especially because it's it's not like he's signing a 10-year 12 million dollar deal at this juncture of his career it's probably only going to be two three years that he's going to sign this deal and then they're going to revisit it again when he's 38 or however long the deal is for i don't think that there's a bad deal you can make here if you're washington because i still think he's worth the money that it, maybe it's easier to swallow before the COVID-19 pandemic and the caps going up. Maybe this deal of this magnitude and 
price is easier to swallow. Like, but the flat cap makes it now a bit more bullish, but I don't know. I, I still think, think he's worth it. The term is what would worry me. Uh, I wouldn't give him, first of all, happy birthday to Alex Ovechkin. Yeah, I just today. saw that. Is I it his birthday? That, yeah. yeah. Uh, if hockey DB is, yeah, okay, so he's 35. Um, when he signs, I mean, it's kind of tricky figuring out, you know, when uh, the next offseason is going to be. But when he signs this contract, I wouldn't give him, and if you're going to give him the money or near the money he wants, or, you know, some people think he deserves, I wouldn't give him more than two years. Um, I just, I think in, in the position he's in, he's, he's going to decline eventually. I, I would not want to give him a lot of term, give him lots of money. Sure. He's Alex Ovechkin. Don't give him lots of term because, because he's, he's, he's not young. That's for sure. Yeah. And just for the sake of it, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't add this in here, but if Ovechkin was to move on, he has gone on record multiple times as saying, if he's not going to play in Washington, the only other team he would play for is Montreal. So Maybe Montreal signs him in free agency, but um, has he maybe, actually yeah. said that? Yeah, he has. I have never in my life heard that. Well, do you think, I didn't do you think Kakaniemi would want to play with him? Uh, I don't know if if he's up to Kakaniemi's level. Yeah, of, you know, true. we'll see. That's I don't true. know. Can Ovechkin speak French? That might <laughs> that might anger a lot of people. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, stop making fun of my team. Anyway, let's uh, let's go back to uh, another Your hire. team. Yeah, well, yeah, let's do that. Why not? <laughs> let's let's go back to my team. And you guys can make fun of it. I gave you permission for this one because I think it's absolutely brutal. Really upset about it. Um, Trying to pull up a graphic. So we have lots for this one. I have a lot to say. Montreal signed Joel or Yoel Edmondson. No, it's Joel. Uh, Are you going to do this with every Montreal player that, that has that name? Well, anyway. Um, I don't even know the logistics because I've been too mad. I think it's three point. Yeah, 3.5. Um, four years, 3.5. And you know what's funny? What's the, funny? The 10, well, a lot of it. The 10 team list, like the fact that they had to add that, it's. Yeah, I, it's brutal. It is a. Brutal... That, just, that just shows that, that that contract alone, money and term, wasn't enough. They had to add that 10 team. Uh, yeah. It's just so it's funny. I'm going to, I'm going to start with you, Luke, and then I'm going to go to you, Nick, I mean, and then we will come back to me and I will say what I think about it. And we can have a discussion about this. Um, your initial thoughts on this signing, Luke. Like I, it's not good. I don't, he's got no words. He's got yeah, no words. I'm, I'm speechless. So I just, I just, I don't see the, this shouldn't have been the big signing that it was. Um, this this kind of signing should have been. I don't I don't know what the word is like complimentary almost. This this shouldn't have been. This shouldn't have been. Sorry, what what's the exact th- four years three point four years three point five. So he'll be a UFA in twenty twenty four. There's no reason to give him that amount of money with that amount of term and the, the 10 team, I, th- was it an NTC or an, an MC? I don't remember, but I think it was an NTC. Regardless, the fact they had to add that in is just, that's just funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, NTC, uh, Nick, what do you think? Well, it's clear that Mark Bergevin obviously learned from the disastrous Carl Olsner signing. <laughs> it's clearly evident that he learned from that. Um, 
Oh man, I don't, I, I don't know what to say. Like I'm like Luke, I'm like lost for words. I can't believe uh, they've made the mistake again of signing a sixth defenseman at best. I wish I could be a sixth defenseman on a Stanley Cup winning team because obviously I'd turn into a very wealthy man um, if I was sheltered by Alex Petrangelo, Vince Dunn, and a bunch of other guys. Look, Joel Edmondson... I'm sure he's a he'd be decent if he was deployed as a sixth or seventh D. But whatever teams he's played on, he hasn't been used in that role. And I don't think Montreal plans on using him, obviously judging by the term and money given out here, as a sixth or seventh defenseman. They clearly plan on using him in the top four as a top penalty killer. But he doesn't fill any of the boxes of what they need. He is already now going to become their worst left defenseman by a large margin. And they're locking term and money into him. Like, I, I don't understand this. Mark Bergevin has failed once again to evaluate blue liners and it's costing them valuable cap space. And this is not the type of, like we just said with the no trade clause, this is not a deal that they're just going to simply be able to move. Like, I don't understand what he's thinking here. And I'm sure you're very angry, Pat. So I'll give you the floor here. Um, um, go ahead. Yeah. Like I, okay. So first off, I'm going to say I definitely underestimated. Well, no, I didn't underestimate Ben Sherrod. If anything, I was probably correct about Ben Sherrod's numbers prior to Montreal. And I think there was some hope and at least there was the possibility that he could perform offensively, which he did. I do think he overachieved. And I think this sparked yet again, another analytics versus eye test debate. I thought that was kind of died down on Twitter after Chris Russell, but I guess not. Look, um, so I'm going to try to reserve being really, really, really upset about it until I see what happens next. Because right now you have Brett Kulak, who's an absolute steal at 1.8 million. I definitely think he's their best left-handed defenseman. Great puck mover. He and Petrie work extremely well together. And he is signed until 2023. You have Ben Chirot, who's making the exact same amount as Edmondson, and he was signed last year. You have Victor Mete, who's an RFA. You're adding Edmondson at 3.5. And you have Alexander Romanov, who management is pretty confident can step in next year, ideally in the bottom four, depending on how well he plays. He's probably not going to start in Laval, it looks like. So someone is definitely on the way out, and I don't think it makes sense to move Chirot as much as I didn't like the signing because he played well above what was expected of him. So it sounds to me and everything I've seen is that they're giving Edmonds in the same role they are or were giving Sherratt, which is top four, most likely next to Jeff Petrie. So statistically, and we can pull up all the stats here. Look, uh, with hurricane pairings that with more than 100 minutes played, not only did all of Edmondson have a sub um, 50% expected goals for, they were the only hurricane pairs below that. Look, if the bar is so low that Edmondson might be better than Carl Alsner, that's fine. But statistically, he's a third pair defenseman who maybe, I'm not even going to say maybe should play second pair, but it, it's really weird because from a statistical standpoint, I don't see how he is a major improvement over anyone they have on the left side, except for maybe Xavier Ouellette. But even then, he's probably not going to be there next year. I can go on about this. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't really solve an issue. And I think everyone who thought he learned from the Carl Alsner mistake is obviously wrong because then he signed Venture Rot and I, I guess that worked out. But um, I don't understand his 
why he's so keen on signing overrated quote unquote defensive defensemen or shutdown defensemen um, when they prove to be pretty bad defensively. So I'll let either of you expand on this. Yeah. Mark Bridgevend uh, either way is going to leave behind one heck of a legacy in Montreal. Um, but for me, what it is, it's just his failure time and time again to evaluate defensemen properly. It's just, it's ruined the Montreal Canadiens to a large degree. I think I'm sure you will agree with that, Pat. It's just how much cap space has he cost them over the years or how much rosters, how many roster spots has he cost them just because he keeps signing defensemen. Like somebody needs to take the keys away from him when he's uh, when it gets near either July 1st or this year, whatever the October 9th, I think is the free agency date. Like somebody's got to, take the reins away from him because he just keeps destroying anything they built. And there were so many positives with Montreal after the playoffs uh, this year, they were such a surprise to so many teams and, you know, it, it becomes harder and harder to replicate that when you just keep saddling a decent team under with good underlying numbers like Montreal with these terrible players. It, it makes no sense. And you know what's funny, and let's not forget that he made a trade to make this happen. He that's true. He made it. He, could, he, didn't, he could have he didn't waited. Send away too much, so like it's not a big deal. But yeah, he thought he needed to trade to make this happen. It's it's only. I'm not gonna get mad about losing a fifth, especially when Montreal already has so it's many. More the idea of it. The the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't understand the rationale in trading picks for he wanted he wanted this to happen so bad that he didn't wait until whenever the day and that's the exact same thing that happened with carl alsner he did not wait and he totally botched that alsner um was one of the worst defensemen when he was playing in montreal and carl alsner they're still paying him 4.6 million and he hasn't played he didn't play all year like that's a brutal deal and i think people might have to sort of realize that maybe he didn't learn from the alsner signing and i don't understand look I found article after article after article of from Carolina logs and stuff like that saying that Joel Edmondson needs to go because he doesn't fit obviously what the Carolina hurricanes are. I think he's definitely overrated because of his again, perceived value defensively because he has a cup ring because he occasionally played with Petrangelo. But again, like you said, you have Vince Dunn around you. He was carefully kept away from the top pair. Um, That much is clear. If you look at ice time, the drop off between how much Petrangelo played and Edmondson played is pretty significant almost 300 minutes so it doesn't make sense but if you look at it now and you have Kulak, Sherratt, Mete, Edmondson, Romanov of those who do you think is moved I'm leaning more towards Kulak, Sherratt or Mete who do you think is moved um, Nick I'll start with you oh man what a mistake it would be if they move Kulak oh my god um, I think out of those three options, you've got to move Sherratt, but I'm not going to be surprised if they move Mete. Something, it's just a gut feeling on that one. I think Mark Bergevin looks at Mete and he sees an undersized defenseman. It's becoming pretty evident, and it has been for a while, what Mark Bergevin is trying to build on the blue line. It's a big, physical, hockey man blue line. Like That's what it is, and Based on that philosophy alone, I think Victor Mete is going to be the odd one out, which would, again, be a total disaster for Montreal if they're signing these guys to big-term contracts and then they let somebody like Mete slip through their fingers. And it just undoes all the hard work and the good moves that Mark Bergevin has made, seeing as how he's gotten 
Kulak and Petrie for practically nothing. It it's shocking. Like I ha- I have no words for it. It's hard. I stutter when I talk about this because it's so hard to put into words what the thought process is in that. Because Luke, who do you think's on the way out? I'll agree with Nick. I don't have that much to say about uh, okay. Montreal's defense, if I'm being honest. But um, I I think. I think out of out of the names you named, Kulak is kind of the only one that stands out to me. Um, honestly, I I just I think I think the fact that this is um, a pressing issue, maybe and maybe it's not. I don't know Montreal fans that well, but if you know, it's just it. I think I think there's more more uh, more relevant things to deal with than than this but i i don't i don't have too much to say on that yep and i think um it's you are you gonna pay charat and evanson 3.5 to play on the left side when ideally they're second probably third pair defenseman then you have romanov it doesn't make sense uh i agree with both you guys i really hope kulak is not on the way out he's one of the better um offensive drivers and possession players on the montreal defensive end we'll see though like i said i'm trying to reserve getting too upset about it until I see who else has moved. I just really, really, really hope this isn't it because again, the need for Montreal has always been a puck moving left-handed defenseman. Some would say someone like Quinn Hughes, for example, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to hand everything over to Nick right now, just as we wind, uh, we wind down the show here as he has a TSN trade bait board um, scheduled for us. Uh, yeah, I was also going to say, uh, first, we probably want to touch on the news of the World Juniors that came out today. Yes. Um, so the World Junior Championship travel plan. Uh, Pat, did you want to do that one or did you want me? You can take that one. Okay. Um, yeah, so there, it's going to be a hub city, I believe, in Edmonton this year. So back in Canada for another World Juniors, obviously most exciting time of the year for Canadians around uh, Christmas time. But yeah, three charters are going to deliver countries from Europe into Edmonton beginning the second week of December. Um, There's going to be intensive testing before those flights. And obviously, like the NHL now, there's going to be strict protocol and daily testing upon arrival in the hub. Uh, Your guys' thoughts on the World Juniors? I'm sure, like me, you guys are pretty happy that we're going to get to see this uh, tournament again. Um. Yeah, I like. First of all, I, I hadn't really heard too much about that. I was kind of surprised to see that that kind of news so soon, um, and I'm kind of surprised that they've appeared to have to have pulled off some kind of agreement that that quickly. Um, that's like it's it's it just, it seems it seems just like great. Okay, they did it uh, because obviously all the logistics involved with that you've got a lot of people coming from a lot of different parts of the world um and unless unless i've been living under a rock i hadn't really heard anything about the world junior plans i kind of forgot about it to be honest uh but that's that's exciting that they're gonna actually make that happen um obviously a bubble's a good way to go and it makes sense um and you can tell the wording from that first uh, release. I don't know exactly what you were reading, Nick, but the wording there, they're, they're, I think they're going to make it pretty clear that um, it's going to be pretty uh, intense restrictions and, and testing and whatnot, which of course has to happen. So that's that's really good news. Um, uh, like I said, I wasn't really expecting to see something like that, but that's that's great news. And, you know, another thing to look forward to, we're actually going to get some 
some, you know, normal international hockey. Yeah, I think I'd agree with Luke there. I don't, it wasn't something I expected to happen so soon. And I definitely was happy once I heard it though, because look, that's still, that's kind of soon. That's in December. So obviously we're going to need to to figure out a plan and a, a way to play it out safely. I like the idea of having it, having it in Edmonton. It sounds like it's going to be exactly the same thing, like the NHL playoffs, strict testing, strict rules, um, keeping it in the bubble. So I think it's great. We all love the world juniors. We love seeing our prospects play for Canada and other respective countries. So I think it's an excellent thing. And I'm happy that, that the world junior staff sort of started kicking tires on it a little bit earlier. Um, I know that it was, I think one of the years in Sweden was pushed until 2024, one of the European world juniors, but again, you can't do much um, as a result of that because of COVID, but no, I think it's, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. And I think one final quick thought on that is it's kind of cool when you look at it, by the time the playoffs end and the draft happens and the first bit of free agency happens, we're only looking at a bit, I don't know, five, six weeks without hockey overall. Like that's pretty unbelievable. It's sort of something that we never get. So yeah, it's pretty cool that that's happening. All right. It's happening. Yep. And just to close out the show here, um, Arizona, they have made a move. They, hired bill armstrong as general manager shortly after trika left that whole debacle um luke i think you want to start on this yeah just one thing because i think a lot of people obviously like good luck to bill armstrong because that's that's going to be a trip um (laughs) but i think you know it kind of gives me vibes of judd brackett in vancouver and then to minnesota obviously not to a gm position but uh one interesting tweet on this from jeremy rutherford uh Quote, Blues made a deal with Bill Armstrong, who had two years left on the deal, that he can't be involved with Arizona's draft. Um, All the work that he has done is information for the St. Louis Blues, so he won't be able to assist in any draft selections for Arizona this year. Not to say they have that many, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, I I didn't really know that that could be added, but it makes sense, and uh, it'll just make Arizona's draft even more interesting. So. All, all that more harder just because yeah, of all the restrictions now imposed Still against can't, them. They have a GM, but they can't use it. So, Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, I Not a job I would have jumped to take because seems like it's a bit of a mess down there in the desert, but uh, they're definitely going to be one of the teams to watch this offseason because there's a lot of work to do there, and I definitely don't envy Bill Armstrong. Yep, I definitely think if he is somehow able to turn it around in – three to five years, then you look at jam of the year and where we talked, we touched on plenty on how that award is sort of handed out. I think uh, he would definitely do, do pretty well. They have to move money out. They have to move on from someone, maybe like Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, we're going to get into that and much more tomorrow. We have a couple of fun segments, uh, armchair GM stuff, potential trade bait, uh, maybe a little bit of debate. We'll see. So I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening. Reminder that this show can be heard on barn burner radio network on its 122 platforms. Check out all of it on barndurna.ca for all the news updates. Thank you so much, both Nick and Luke and listeners. We'll see you next.